Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. Good morning again. I'd like to begin the message this morning by telling you about a, a little girl by the name of Jeannie. Jeannie's mother, Gladys, was periodically committed to mental institutions, and, and so as a result, the little girl spent much of her childhood in foster homes. In one of those foster homes, when she was eight years old, um, the, the foster home also boarded other people, and one of the boarders, a, a man, raped the little girl um, and then gave her a nickel and said, here, honey, take this and don't ever tell anyone what happened. Well, Jeannie went to her foster mother to tell her what had happened, and in response, the foster mom beat her. She was told, our boarder pays good rent. Don't you ever say anything bad about him again. Jeannie, at the tender age of eight, had learned what it was to be used and then given money for it and punished for trying to express the hurt that she was experiencing. She grew up to be a very pretty girl and people definitely noticed. Boys would whistle at her and she liked the attention, but she always wished that they would notice her, not just her looks. Then Jeannie went to Hollywood and she took a new name, Marilyn Monroe. And she publicly, uh, she, she began to be told that she was going to be made into one of the most desirable sex objects uh, that ever hit the movies. She was an overnight success, but she kept asking, does anyone notice me? I, I, I'm a person. Would you please notice me and love me, not just my looks? She was repeatedly cast in the role of the dumb blonde. Everyone hated working with Marilyn Monroe. Everyone did. She would keep movie crews waiting for hours on the set. She was regarded as a selfish prima donna. What they didn't know was that she was in her dressing room vomiting because she was so insecure. Over and over, she kept asking, will someone please notice me? They didn't notice and they didn't take her seriously. She went through three marriages seeking to find love. Take me seriously as a person, but you're a sex symbol. You know, nobody cares about anything besides that. So on a Saturday night at the age of 35, when beautiful women were supposed to be on the arm of a handsome escort, Marilyn Monroe took her own life. She killed herself. When her maid found her the next morning, she noticed that the telephone was off the hook. It was dangling there beside her. In a later investigation, it was revealed that in the last moments of her life, she had called a Hollywood actor who was supposed to be a friend. And she told him that she had taken enough sleeping pills to kill herself. He answered with the famous line of Rhett Butler in Gone with the Wind, which I'll edit here for church, Frankly, my dear, I don't care. Those were the last words she ever heard. 
She dropped the phone, she left it dangling there, and she died. All she wanted was to be known and loved for who she was. In an article written about her, the question was asked, what really killed Marilyn Monroe, love goddess who never found love? She died from emptiness. It has been pointed out that the dangling phone was a, a symbolic of her life, that, that she died and she never got through to anyone who cared. The message title this morning is, What's Love Got to Do With It? And what I want us to understand from the get-go is love has everything to do with it. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to read some selected verses through the, this whole chapter. But we're going to focus on verse 22. Christ has set us free. This means that we are really free. Now hold on to your freedom and don't ever become a slave again. My friends, you were chosen to be free. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do anything you want. Use it as an opportunity to serve others with um, to serve each other with love. All the law can be summed up in the command to love others as much as you love yourself. If you are guided by the Spirit, you won't obey your selfish desires. The Spirit and your desires are enemies of each other. They are always fighting each other and keeping you from doing what you feel you should do. People's desires make them give in to immoral ways, filthy thoughts and shameful deeds, and do other th evil things as well. I told you before and I'm telling you again, no one who does these things will share in the blessings of God's kingdom. God's Spirit makes us loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. There's no law against behaving in any of these ways. And because we belong to Christ Jesus, we have killed our selfish feelings and desires. God's Spirit has given us life, and so we should follow the Spirit. Now again, this morning I want to focus on verse 22. But before we jump into that, I want us to, to just briefly look at ver the second half of verse 21. No one who does these things will share in the blessings of God's kingdom. You know, it can, it can seem like there is just no way that we're going to live the life that God wants us to live. You know, um, there's not a day that goes by that we don't sin, that I don't sin. I hope that doesn't come as a shock. You know, anyone that's known me for more than 30 seconds knows I sin. Um, but, but the reality is, is it seems like there's, there's no escaping it. You know, we're all doomed if it says here that anyone who sins um, isn't going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, good grief, you know, who, who doesn't sin? But what we need to understand is that a, a better interpretation of that verse is that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want us to understand this verse because this can be a real um, hang-up to people who are thinking, I'm never going to get it right. I, I'm never going to live the life that Christ has called me to live. But what this verse is telling us is 
those who continue to desire, those who continue to practice sin, that's, that's the issue. Again, everybody sins. The issue is not that you sin. The issue is that you don't, if you don't see it as a problem. When you sin and it bothers you, that's a good thing. That means that the Holy Spirit is, is at work in your life. It means that, that you, you understand that this is not the standard. This is not what is acceptable to God. You know, if a person sees nothing wrong, what the Bible calls sin, that's when there's a problem. And that's what verse 21 is talking about. You know, I, in, in doing marriage counseling, one of the things that drives me up a wall is I'll, I'll meet with a couple and I'll begin talking with them about their, their relationship with God. And they'll say, oh yeah, we love God, we're committed to Christ, you know, all of those things, but they're living together. The Bible clearly says that's wrong. So, you know, when, when a person is showing all the evidence of their sinful life, you know, their anger, hatred, bitterness, lying, bigotry, gluttony, you know, whatever. When, when a person has stuff in their life and they don't see it as a problem, that's what verse 21 is talking about. You know, we are to hate sin. We are to do everything within our power to quit sinning. We, we are to um, never adopt an attitude that it's okay. And that's what Paul is saying here in Galatians 5. 1 John 3, beginning with verse 4, it says, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in Him. <clears throat> anyone who continues to live in Him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know Him or understand who He is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning, because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love others, other believers, does not belong to God. Just to, again, understand habitual sin is not okay. It's not appropriate in a believer's life. We are to view sin with hostility, not compromise or acceptance. You know, if you have, no, let me restate that. In whatever area in your life that you have sin, attack it. Deal with it. Don't just go, eh, that's the way it is. In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27, Paul says, It is my own body that I fight to make it do what I want. 
I do this so that I won't miss getting the prize myself after telling others about it. You know, we must be vigilant. We, we must be on the attack in dealing with the, the sin that we have in our lives. You know, if, if you're not vigilant, then what it means is that, as Paul is saying here, you could fall short. You, you could mess things up. Now, looking at Galatians 5, verses 22 through 25, let's understand that what Paul was doing is, in Galatians 5, he first says, this is the way not to live. This is what the life of a non-believer looks like. And he talks about all of those different things. Anger, hatred, bitterness, dissension, jealousy, lust, drunkenness, laziness, greed. Um, it's like watching television here, right? You know, that, that, that's, that's what you see. Um, and, and so he's saying, this is what a non-believer's life looks like. But then on the other hand, if you are, are living the godly life, your life is going to produce love, joy, peace, patience, you know, goodness. All of those, those are the attributes of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. This is critical that we understand just being a Christian doesn't mean that your life is going to produce fruit. It's the starting point. But it's critical to understand that the way fruit, spiritual fruit gets produced in your life is when you are submitted to the Holy Spirit. When you are doing your part to open yourself up and be obedient to God's guidance and God's direction. You know, it's only when you are consistently submitting yourself and, and surrendering your will to the, the control of the Holy Spirit that your life will begin to produce the, the fruit of the Spirit. Take exercise for an example. If you do a sit-up every now and then, I, I, you know, yeah, there's some benefit to it, but it's not going to have any kind of long-term help. But if you become devoted to exercise, if you begin to be devoted to doing sit-ups and you become devoted to being careful about the food you put into your body, you're doing everything you know to do, then you're going to begin to see the, the fruit of those, those efforts. Well, the same is true in our Christian life. When you devote yourself to being a student of the Bible and you, you consistently are seeking to be obedient. You're doing what the Bible teaches and doing everything you can to avoid what the Bible says don't do. Then you're going to begin to see results. It's, it's going to take effect. So a person whose, whose life is, is filled with sin is is a person that's not going to be able to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, those two lists obviously are very different. And it, anything we do in our life that is not born of God, it falls short of what God has called us to do. But when a Christian submits themselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then and only then will the Spirit produce godly fruit. You know, um, in verses 22 and 23, 
Paul shows us these nine characteristics of godly attributes. There are others, but these, you know, in, in this context here, these are the manifestations of, of God's presence in a person's life. Now, it's God's will that we produce much fruit. It tells us that in John 15. Now, understand, you know, if you have a fruit tree, you don't want it to produce one or two apples. You want a bumper crop of apples. You know, well, the same is true with God. He wants to produce a bumper crop of spiritual fruit in your life. You know, and, and, and again, understand, the more you submit to the Holy Spirit, the more you discipline yourself, the more you come under the control of the Holy Spirit, the more fruit you will produce. And certainly, you know, you can look in some Christians' lives, you see God moving, you see God at work, and you see the, the evidence of God being produced in their life. And then there are going to be other Christians who you, you, you kind of have to look at them and study on them a little bit to, to even be able to tell whether they're Christians at all. It boils down to, are you willing to submit? You know, it, it is an act of your will empowered by the Holy Spirit that this comes about. Now, the very first and most important virtue that, that the Spirit will produce in your life is love. Verse 14 there in Galatians 5 says, All the law says can be summed up in the command to love others as much as you love yourself. The Message Bible says it this way, Everything we know about God's Word is summed up in a single sentence. Love God as you love yourself. So if I can get you to walk out of here with one thing today, here it is. It will be to understand that authentic love is the most critical signature, the most critical piece of evidence that your life must possess. Absolutely nothing matters more than the love that we have for God and each other. Nothing else matters as much. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, in other words, the entire Bible and all of the requirements of the prophets are based on these two commandments. All of the teaching of the Bible if you want to sum up Christianity, there it is. Love God, love others. You know, and, and again, it is only possible when you are being guided, when you are under the authority of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, Jesus, as always, is the perfect example of what this looks like. In Romans 5.8, But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners... 
Christ died for us. 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up His life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. The, the love that the Spirit produces in our life is what is called agape love. Agape love is the evidence of salvation in a person's life. The Christian author J.L. Packard wrote, the Greek word agape love seems to be virtually a Christian invention, a new word for a new thing. It is almost non-existent before the New Testament. Agape draws its meaning directly from the revelation of God in Christ. It is not a form of natural affection, but a supernatural fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. It is a matter of the will rather than a feeling, for the Christian must love even those they dislike. Understand, agape love is love by choice. Doing what is best for another person regardless of circumstances. Love by the will, not by the emotion. That is critical that we understand this. You know, in 1 John 3, it says, if we, I'm going to use, I'm going to read some scripture here, and instead of using the word love, I'm going to insert the word agape. Again, understanding this is what it, this is the word that's being used. If we agape our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no agape is still dead. Dear friends, let us continue to agape one another, for agape comes from God. Anyone who agapes is a child of God and knows God. Understand that agape love is a command. It is a requirement that must be present in our lives. And so a person who does not possess agape love should be questioning their salvation. It, you should be saying, Wow, am I really saved? Because I could care less about the people sitting around me. I, I'm really not interested in them at all. I'm interested in me and I'm interested in some of my friends. But beyond that, I don't care. If that's kind of your mindset, you should really question your salvation. You know, for believers, agape love is not an option. It is a command. And if you believe, again, that you are a born-again Christian, agape love better be a part of your life. It better be there or you've got a serious problem. We don't get to pick and choose who we love. The Bible is commanding you to love all believers. Ephesians 5.2, live a life filled with love, Following the example of Christ, He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, here's the deal. We are commanded to love, and yet command cannot be obeyed in our flesh. It cannot be obeyed apart from the Holy Spirit. 
He is the only way you can do this. You are commanded to love. And and again, the only way you can obey is by being submitted to the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, understand, the manifestation of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, is in direct proportion to how yielded you are to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Again, the goal of the Christian life is Christ-likeness, to become more and more like Jesus. I'm going to say something here that's going to shock some of you. God does not save us so that we get to go to heaven. Did you know that? That's not the purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation is so that we might worship God. That's that's why we exist. God is God. And so our purpose in being saved is so that we can come into the presence of God and worship Him. Now, because God is in heaven, when, when you pass from this life, you will get to go into God's presence, but you're not going to God's presence so that you can just kick back and relax and celebrate in heaven. It's so that you can worship God. He's God, we're not. You know, our purpose in being led by the Spirit is to become more and more like Jesus. You know, Jesus tells us to abide in Him. So our understanding and our motivation isn't just to be a better person. You know, there are millions upon millions of good people all around the world. There are good people who are Muslims. There are good people who are Hindus. There are good people who are, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or, or you know, whatever. There are good, good people who are atheist. That's not the goal. The goal is not to be a good person. The goal is to become Christ-like. That's the goal. You know, so, so that we can represent Jesus Christ in this broken world. Having the fruit of the Spirit manifested in our lives is not the goal. The goal is to be submitted to Christ so much that He is producing His attributes in your life. It's, it's, the, you know, it, it's the product. So our, our trying hard to be loving or our trying hard to have more joy or more peace, that, that's not the goal. The goal needs to be to become Christ-like. Devote your life to becoming more like Jesus. And when you become more like Jesus, you will naturally produce the fruit of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. You know, too many Christians, if you're dozing off here, wake up for this part. Too many Christians treat Christianity like it's a hobby. You know, we... We give the time that we think we can spare. How silly is that? God is not our hobby. 
He is not to be the object of our spare time. You know, if you truly believe that God is in fact the God of the universe, then how can we do anything except be completely devoted to Him? You know, it makes no sense that we say, God is the God. And I really don't give time because I, I've got other stuff that's more important. That, that's ridiculous. Think about it. I mean, that is absolutely stupid that, that we would, if we really believe that God is God, that we don't devote ourselves totally to Him. There was a book a number of years ago written by Craig Grosho called Christian Atheist. And the whole concept of the book is just that, that we claim to believe in God, but then we act and we behave like he doesn't exist. You know, and, and that's the way most American Christians act. It's like, well, I'll see if I can squeeze Jesus into my schedule. Jesus is your schedule. Everything else is secondary after that. And so if you want the Holy Spirit to dominate your life so that the, the fruit of the Spirit becomes obvious in your life, then you must become a fanatic for Jesus Christ. Do not settle for anything less. And again, as I'm speaking, if you're sitting there saying, I really am not that committed to whether the Holy Spirit is, is obvious in my life or not, then may I say to you, you are an unsaved, unregenerated person. Because the only answer for a true Christian is, I want all of Jesus manifested in my life that I possibly can get. So what do you need to do? What is, what is the action step? You know, if, if today you're sitting here and you're thinking, I'm not sure I'm really a Christian because I, I, I really don't know. Well, the starting point is to come to that point and say, I realize I am a sinner. I realize that I, I fall short and I want God in my life. I recognize that He is God and I devote, I, I owe Him everything. And so, God, I turn myself over to you. I give you me. And it is my intention from this day forward for the rest of my life to be devoted to you 100%. That's the starting point. And then, if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, well, I, I've committed my life to Christ, then your step needs to be, you need to repent. You need to come to God and say, God, I've been a hypocrite. I have fallen short. I, I am repenting because I haven't made you the absolute God of my life. I, I fall short of that. And so I give you my, my new commitment. And from this moment forward, I am going to give you my very best. And I'm going to devote myself to becoming a fanatic for Jesus Christ so that the Holy Spirit can be manifested in my life and I might produce the fruit of the Spirit so that this world will see what Christ among them looks like. That, that's the only option. You're either there or you're saying, 
I really don't give a flip. I, I, I just don't care. Those are, those are the options. Where are you this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, we desperately need you. We come up with plans that we think are the perfect plan. And I'm reminded of the scripture that says, there's a way that seems right to man that leads to destruction. There is only one plan, and that's your plan, where we give you our total life. We lay down our life, and we live a life of love. Not forced out of our, our effort, but produced by your Spirit in us. Father, help us, please, to step up and say, I want you at all cost. I give you my life. Father, as, as I pray now, I know you know the hearts and minds of every person that's a part of this service. Whether they're here in the room or they're watching online. My prayer is that each of us will be honest. Honest with ourselves and honest with you. Break us down, dear God, where we need to be broken. Where we need to repent. And then, Father, I know that there are a lot of people who are hurting right now. They're really struggling. And they don't need to be beat up. They need to be, they need to be embraced and, and wrapped in your love. And so, Father, my prayer right now is for them. As, as we sang earlier, you have called us to come to you. And when we can't come to you, you come to us. And so, Father, my prayer is that each person here will be touched by you. That you will touch, touch us where we're hurting. Touch us where we're empty. Touch us where we're thirsting and hungry. God, there are people in here who are very much like Marilyn Monroe that I spoke of earlier. They're just desperate to have someone notice them and say, I care about you. I love you. Please, Father, don't let us fall short in that. Please help us to love those who are hurting and broken. You've called us to that. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.